this is Dr. Nick Tiller, and you're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science podcast. What follows is an audio recording of my column, published in Skeptical Inquirer, the magazine for science and reason. For more information, visit www.skepticalinquirer.org. As with all articles in this series, a full list of references and a link to the written piece can be found in the show notes. Episode 17, Barefoot Running, Conspiracies and Controversies. All doctrines have demons, some more literal than others. What I mean by this is that ideologies tend to endure because they become an antagonist against whom proponents can rally. For example, the Abrahamic religions brandish the devil. Politicians demonise members and policies of the opposing party. Athletes and supporters unite against an opposing sports team. Homeopaths fuel fear of Big Pharma. And proponents of the keto diet denounce carbohydrates or Big Carb for their role in diabetes, inflammation and cardiovascular disease. In the world of barefoot running, it's the modern sneaker industry condemned for supplying generations of runners with highly cushioned soles that have weakened their leg muscles, collapsed the arches of their feet, and predisposed them to high rates of injury. Fringes of the movement even dabble in conspiracy theory, asserting that we've been poisoned against our natural running gait and become dependent on expensive modern shoes. The oxymoronic barefoot running shoe is proposed as the panacea. In his best-selling 2009 book, Born to Run, Christopher McDougall introduced the Western world to the traditional practice of barefoot running. With captivating prose, McDougall recounted his journey to Mexico's Copper Canyons in search of the famed Tarahumara, an indigenous tribe of extraordinary distance runners known locally as the Raramuri, those who run fast. Despite regularly running hundreds of miles across rough canyon country, to accomplish intervillage communication, transportation and hunting. The Tarahumara are perhaps best known, rather unfairly thanks to McDougall's account, for their warachis, traditional sandals made of leather or rubber soles and ankle straps. They use warachis not to shun modern technology, but rather due to some combination of tradition, culture and necessity. McDougall obsesses over the fact throughout his book, The word sandal appears more than 30 times in the main text, and he makes no secret about pairing the tribe's primitive footwear with their phenomenal abilities, their low injury rates, and even their low rates of disease. The author makes an impassioned plea for us to follow in the tribe's footsteps, so to speak. As McDougall goes to great lengths to explain, barefoot running is about more than just the kinesthetics of feeling the ground underfoot reconnecting with nature or regaining our souls by discarding our souls. From a practical standpoint, he is one of many claiming that minimalist shoes mitigate injuries that have rendered generations of runners incapable of pursuing the sport. Much of the controversy about modern sneakers comes from a 2010 study showing that wearing minimalist shoes results in a shortened stride length, forcing runners to land predominantly on their midfoot or forefoot as opposed to their rear foot, which is typical while wearing cushioned soles. 
This subsequently reduces impact forces transmitted through the lower limbs and is predicted to reduce running-related injury. The study author, Daniel Lieberman, a Harvard University paleoanthropologist who the New Statesman referred to as the barefoot professor, blames modern shoes for modern ailments. If more people ran, says Lieberman in McDougall's book, fewer would be dying of degenerative heart disease, sudden cardiac death, hypertension, blocked arteries, diabetes and most other deadly ailments of the Western world. Born to run in 2009, paired with Lieberman's study in 2010, became the main attractions at the ensuing media circus. Barefoot running was covered extensively by mainstream outlets, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post, and the book's success was credited with resurrecting barefoot running in the West. Online searches for barefoot running reached an all-time high in 2010, contributing to the rapid emergence of more than 150 barefoot-friendly shoe brands worldwide. But as is common, coverage came from a media that failed to do its due diligence on the scientific evidence. The first of several red flags was that Lieberman's study was funded in part by Vibram, a prominent manufacturer of barefoot shoes. Lieberman's logic was also grossly reductionist, attributing cardiovascular disease, which is a complex genetic, physiological and socio-cultural, socio-economic problem, to people wearing the wrong shoes. Even if contemporary sneakers could be aligned with higher injury rates in runners, which they can't, Lieberman's argument rests precariously on a slippery slope. It implies without evidence that cushioned soles have triggered a chain reaction of running-related injury, chronic inactivity and catastrophic rates of obesity and related comorbidities. Some years after his study had been published, Lieberman appeared online endorsing the Vibram Barefoot brand in a YouTube video. He was accused by academics of clientelism, a form of scientific misconduct that frames research in advance to have a positive outcome with respect to products manufactured by a source of funding. McDougall also commits a grave misnomer. The human body was designed to endure long-distance running without the cushioning and arch support, he writes in his book. We were born to run. Of course, humans weren't designed at all. It's an appeal to tradition that threads its way through his narrative. False advertising. It's an indictment of the modern health and fitness industry that back in 2010, when the media fervour surrounding barefoot running was reaching its peak, there were no actual scientific data that linked barefoot shoes to reduced injury rates. It was all conjecture. Its conclusions were extrapolated from preliminary research such as Lieberman's. Consequently, in 2012, a runner named Valerie Bezdek filed suit against Fibram, a case that she took to the Boston Federal District Court, on the basis that the company deceived her and others by claiming the footwear could strengthen muscles of the foot and reduce injuries. Subsequent class action lawsuits followed and were absorbed into Bezdek's case. The courts agreed that Vibram's claims had no scientific merit, and the company was fined nearly $4 million. Despite the ruling, proponents of the barefoot philosophy doubled down, as ideologues tend to do.
In 2009, I too was sold on the premise of barefoot running, but resisted forming any firm conclusions because the only data we had at our disposal was observational, largely from African runners, some of whom traditionally ran barefoot and already ruled the distance running world. It's a capital mistake to theorise before one has data, so says everyone's favourite fictional detective. More than a decade of research has since emerged, and I imagine even Sherlock Holmes would be comfortable theorising on the strength of the data. For instance, a recent study, published 10 years too late for many runners who met with injury after transitioning to barefoot running, showed no difference in muscle or tendon stiffness in the feet of people who were habituated to either minimalist or cushioned sneakers. In fact, the flexor hallucis brevis, a tendon attached to the big toe, was generally stiffer in the latter group. For context, stiffer tendons can be advantageous because they're better at storing and returning elastic energy and transmitting forces from muscle to bone. The data are in direct opposition to what was claimed by barefoot proponents. Several systematic reviews have also collated data from numerous other studies, seemingly concurring that safely transitioning from cushioned sneakers to barefoot shoes has no statistical effect on injury rates. One systematic review and meta-analysis of 53 studies found that barefoot shoes reduced impact forces through the lower leg as predicted, but with no concurrent relationship between strike pattern and injury risk. Assuming a runner is injury-free, the authors concluded, they should avoid changing their footwear. Another systematic review of 20 relevant studies around half of which also implemented injury prevention exercises and gait retraining for those transitioning to barefoot shoes, revealed that runners who changed to minimalist footwear exhibited no difference in injury rates compared to those who ran in conventional running sneakers, 17.9 injuries versus 13.4 injuries per 100 participants. A third systematic review of 15 studies, totaling over 8,000 participants, found that in terms of injury rates, biomechanics, health-related outcomes or motor performance, there was limited or very limited evidence of any differences between habitually running barefoot versus habitually running in traditional cushioned sneakers. Always have a backup plan. Following the uninspiring data, barefoot shoe manufacturers became more creative in their marketing rhetoric. The barefoot industry is now one of many using direct response marketing, strategies that aim to increase sales by triggering emotions in the consumer. And of all emotions, fear is among the most powerful. One prominent vendor of barefoot shoes coined the term shoe-spiracy to denote how, quote, the barefoot shoe industry has sold you a lie, end quote. In one of their ads, a pair of misshapen feet are depicted alongside the tagline, Normal shoes fuck your feet. In another cartoon, a toddler has discarded his shoes because his feet already know how to grow, and parents are warned about the dangers of mothering versus mother nature. Fear-based marketing stimulates the sympathetic nervous system to release cortisol, the stress hormone, and also adrenaline. Consumers then face an imperative to act in order to reduce the anxiety. In effect, fear-based marketing exploits the pessimism bias. 
which is the desire to anticipate negative events to better avoid them. To conclude, it's disappointing when an industry is forged in the lackluster flames of preliminary studies and loose logic, but it's worse watching a flawed ideology endure in the dying embers of a decade of contradictory data. It's certainly plausible that some runners could successfully transition to barefoot running. In fact, a recent study in medicine and science in sport and exercise showed that a 20-week transition protocol with use of an intermediary minimalist shoe enabled 71% of runners to successfully transition to barefoot running. However, this assumes that runners will have the knowledge, time, resources and inclination to follow a patient stepwise approach comprising strength and conditioning and other injury prevention measures. Most will not. It also means that around one third will fail due to pain and or injury. Even if they do manage the transition, then what? Certainly the practical advantages are few. So, whatever your reasons for wanting to transition to barefoot running, reduced injury rates should not be among them. The data just aren't on your side. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this article, check out my book, The Skeptic's Guide to Sports Science, Confronting Myths of the Health and Fitness Industry, published by Taylor & Francis. For more information on this and my other work, visit www.nbtiller.com. Thank you.